The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 13, 2022, on the basis of Luke 20, verses 27 through 38. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I think it may go down as one of the worst predictions in all of human history. Back in 1930, an economist by the name of John Maynard Keynes predicted that within just a a few generations, because of the power of technology and because of the power of compound interest, Americans would find themselves working only 15 hours a week. That's right, we would all have five-day weekends, and our biggest problem would be trying to figure out what we were going to do with all of our free time. To be fair, Keynes wasn't alone in this prediction. About 30 years after that, an article appeared in the New York Times that also predicted that as more and more of our daily tasks became automated, more and more people were going to define themselves, not by the work that they did, but by the time they spent in leisure. When you think about it, it it kind of is surprising that predictions like this haven't come true. You think about all the devices and all the gadgets that we have that previous generations didn't. The microwave oven, the dishwasher, the laundry machine, the automobile, and the airplane. This past week, I, I got a phone call from a telemarketer advertising a turf bot, a little robot that would keep my lawn nice and mowed all by itself. I'm sure you're aware that similar robots exist to keep our houses nice and vacuumed without us having to do any work. And so as a result of all of this, I'm guessing that tomorrow morning you're going to sleep in. And then you're going to lounge around in your pajamas for a couple of hours, maybe watch a little bit of TV, catch up on some reading. At some point in the day, you might decide that you're going to go out for a stroll, maybe take the dog for a walk. Maybe for dinner, you're going to decide to try out a a new recipe. And so there's a special trip to the grocery store because, of course, you have to get fresh ingredients. And then when dinner is done and everything is cleaned up, you'll snuggle up by the fire for a couple of hours before going to bed. Or maybe not. John D. Rockefeller is often regarded as the, Amer- the wealthiest American who has ever lived. And one time he was reportedly asked, how much money is going to be enough for you? And he famously answered, just a little bit more. As ridiculous as it might sound that someone with that much money would still think that they need just a little bit more, it is equally ridiculous for people who have essentially fabricated out of thin air endless amounts of time for themselves, that we still think there's never enough, that we still think we always need just a little bit more. And yet we do. And there's a reason we do. And it's a reason that is highlighted in the Word of God that's in front of us today. In the Gospel for today, there are two points of view that are completely contrary to one another. They are as different from each other as night and day, and yet they have one very important thing in common. Both of those worldviews, both of those outlooks on life, are the result of the fact that time, 
seems to be this limited and non-renewable resource as a result of the fact that death is a part of our world. Both of those points of view are attempts to try and solve that dilemma. In fact, both of those points of view are proof that no matter how much we might try, we are never going to be content with the limited amount of time that we have. Both of those points of view attempt to try and solve that dilemma. In fact, we might say that every person in the world is trying to solve that dilemma in one of these two ways. Because as it turns out, whether you heat your food with a microwave or have to gather wood and start a fire, whether you vacuum your house yourself or have a robot do it for you, it is never going to be enough. There is only one quantity of time that we will ever be content with. The first point of view that is represented in these verses is represented by a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were one of two religious slash political groups in Jesus' day, the other one being the Pharisees. And one thing we need to know about the Sadducees, as Luke points out, is that they did not believe in the resurrection. So they thought when a person's life was over, that was it. When a person's life came to an end, it meant that their time was up. But what's interesting to note is that evidently they were not content with that. Before we even get to the question that these Sadducees came and asked Jesus, we need to understand why they were asking it. They asked this question as a way to challenge Jesus' authority. You see, these Sadducees were the group that happened to be in political power in Israel at that time. They had power, they wanted to hold on to their power, and they viewed Jesus as a threat to their power. And it's really no surprise that a group who didn't believe in the resurrection would be so into politics. Because politics is a way that a person can sort of live on even after their time on earth comes to an end. Even after life is over, the decisions you've made, the laws that you've passed, and the people who follow you who share your same platform sort of continue to live on. Another way that that can happen is through family. And family is really the subject of the the question that the Sadducees came and asked Jesus. The Sadducees wanted to bring up a reference from the writings of Moses because Moses was who they considered to be Israel's greatest teacher. Moses, in their mind, had already provided for a way for people to live after they had died without any of this business about a resurrection. And that way to live on after you've died is through your family. Your children take over your land. Your children carry on your family name. In fact, Moses had even included in the law a provision for what would happen if a person died without any male heir. In that case, the brother of the person who died was supposed to marry his brother's widow. And the first male child that the two of them would have together was actually supposed to be treated as if it was the child of the dead brother. That would be the heir. This too was a way to continue to live on even after you die. Who needs a resurrection when your life can just be continued? Your time can go on through your children. In fact, according to the Sadducees, a resurrection wouldn't even work, logically speaking. 
Because in a situation like this, if everybody just comes back to life at the end, how are we going to decide whose wife this woman really is? Now, by not believing in the resurrection, the Sadducees obviously stood for a point of view that is completely antithetical, opposite to the Christian faith. And yet again, what is interesting is that they were offering a solution to the very same dilemma that the Christian faith, that Jesus offers a solution to. And in fact, what's even more interesting is that, believe it or not, people still try to solve that same dilemma in exactly the same way that the Sadducees did. This past week, as I was listening to the news, I heard that there were two separate individuals in our country who both received a variety of monetary donations totaling over $7 million each, and all within the span of 24 hours. Now, if you didn't know better, that might come as a surprise that at the very same time, two separate people would receive that amount of money in that short a span of time. That wouldn't make any sense unless you realize that those two individuals were Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, who are the two men going head-to-head in the runoff election in Georgia for a Senate seat, a Senate seat that will play a large role in determining the balance of power in our country. Now, call me crazy, but if we as human beings were simply content with the limited amount of time that we had on earth, and if as a result our goal in life was simply to enjoy that time to the fullest, Call me crazy, but I could find a few better things to do with $14 million than that. And yet all of those donations and all of that money went to politics. And people obsess over politics because it is still a way that you can sort of prolong your time even after that time is up. And people still do that, still try to do that, through their families. Now, you probably think that this so-called leveret law that Moses wrote about in the Old Testament, this, this thing where a brother would have to marry his dead brother's widow and have a child for him through her, all of that is a little bit odd and a little bit out of date. And yet we still buy into this idea that our life will continue after we're gone through our children. We give them our names. They carry on our reputation. We might leave them an inheritance. We might raise them up to take over the family business or in some other way continue our family legacy. So it could be politics, it could be family, it could be any number of things. The point is simply this, that we will never be content with just the limited amount of time that we get during this life. And that's why Jesus' alternate point of view is so very different. Again, Jesus came to offer a solution to the very same dilemma that these Sadducees were trying to solve. And yet Jesus didn't simply offer a different strategy for playing the very same game. He didn't come to simply offer a better way to succeed while playing by the very same rules. Instead, he came to change the rules entirely. He came to take away the cause of this dilemma in the first place. Jesus says, in this age, there are institutions that are good and important in a world that is governed by death, institutions like government 
and family. But, Jesus says, the age to come is going to be completely different. The start of the age to come is going to be a resurrection from the dead. And once that resurrection from the dead happens, death will be no more. Which means that time will no longer be this limited, finite, non-renewable resource. In fact, time won't even be something that you can count or quantify at all because it will be unlimited. It will be completely infinite. Jesus' solution to this dilemma is not to try and squeeze the most out of our time or try to prolong it even after we're gone. Instead, his solution is to get rid of death entirely, to bring about a resurrection. There's only one way to get that quantity of time that will satisfy our hearts that we will be content with, and it's not by trying to manage our earthly time as well as we possibly can or prolong it after we're gone. It's only through a resurrection from the dead. Which all sounds good, but in the meantime, while we're waiting for that resurrection, won't that put us Christians at a little bit of a disadvantage? I mean, if we're really just sitting around waiting for this unlimited, unbound amount of time that is going to be ours in the future, and meanwhile, everyone else is trying to get the most out of life, aren't we going to fall behind? Well, that's why Jesus' next words to the Sadducees are so interesting. The Sadducees had brought up Moses because they regarded him so very highly. And so in response, Jesus wanted to bring up Moses too. Jesus brought up the very first time that the Lord had appeared to Moses and called him to lead his people out of Egypt when the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush on Mount Horeb. When he did, God referred to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, by that point, those three men were long dead. But by referring to himself that way, God was indicating that they were very much still alive. But what's important to notice is that Jesus doesn't simply refer to the fact that the Lord had said this to Moses. He actually makes mention of the fact that Moses had written it down. In other words, it registered with Moses what God was saying. From the moment Moses was called to his relationship with God, belief in the resurrection was part and parcel of his faith. And so even though that resurrection was way off in the future for Moses, it was already Moses' present possession. He became a child of the resurrection the second he believed. Because as Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead. God is not the God of the dying. God is the God of the living. And all who belong to him are alive. So fellow Christians, the moment that you become a child of the resurrection is not the moment you stop living. That's actually the moment you start living. That's the moment where you stop letting the fact that you are dying and that you live in a dying world define your existence. That's the moment you stop living in denial of that fact or stop living in delusion over the fact that you could possibly do anything about it. The moment you become a child of the resurrection, you can actually engage in earthly institutions like politics, for example. 
but without those politics being the be-all and end-all of your existence, without those decisions or those elections being matters of life and death. When you become a child of the resurrection, you can raise your children to have an inheritance, to receive something from you that they carry on with them after they're gone, but not just an inheritance of money, not just an inheritance of a legacy or a name or a reputation, but an inheritance of faith. When you become a child of the resurrection, you can use that precious commodity of your time on earth, not just to to get the most out of life or enjoy it to the fullest, but to invest that time in things that will last to eternity. The moment you become a child of the resurrection, without being reckless with your life or reckless with anyone else's life, you can stop being scared to death of death. You can stop being immobilized and paralyzed by a fear of death as if somehow you are going to die too soon if you're not perfectly careful and perfectly safe every single moment. Friends, realize that this unlimited, infinite amount of time that will be yours in the future is also very much your present possession. Because the second you realize that is the moment you stop dying and the moment you start truly living. Which really leaves just one important question to ask. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a scary one. Are you worthy for that resurrection? Jesus says that there's going to be a resurrection to life for those who are children of God, but he says it will be for those who are considered worthy. In other words, if you put that unlimited, infinite amount of time, that eternity, that paradise in heaven on one side of a scale and then you put yourself on the other side of the scale, would it balance out? Would you measure up? That's a horrifying thought, especially if we were to answer it just on the basis of whether we have been living as children of this age or as children of a resurrection. But thankfully, the verb that Jesus uses there, very importantly, is in the passive voice. In other words, it is not your job to prove yourself worthy of the resurrection. Instead, you are considered worthy of the resurrection. That determination is made by someone else. And the good news is that when God makes that determination, you don't have to stand on your side of the scale alone. Through faith, you have been tied inseparably to Jesus. Jesus, who even as these Sadducees were scratching and clawing for every ounce of earthly power, Jesus, perfectly willing to let them have it. Jesus, who did not hold on to dear life for every last second of earthly time he had received. Instead, he entrusted his times into his Father's hands. Jesus, who lived Perfectly, not as a child of this age, but as a child of his own resurrection. Jesus is standing next to you on your side of the scale. And so long as he is with you and you are with him, then worthy you are and worthy you will always be. And once that's settled, then you can go ahead and get busy. Or stay busy. 
At the end of the day, I don't care how many different devices and gadgets human beings come up with to save time. I have a feeling that we will never just be sitting around trying to figure out how we're going to spend all of our leisure time and activities. To a certain degree, human beings were born to be busy. But you have been born not just as a child of this age. You've been reborn as a child of the resurrection. And so you know what to be busy with. You know how to manage that precious resource of time. Not because it's finite, not because it's limited, not because it's suddenly going to be gone. You know how to manage that time because you know that in the resurrection, it will never run out. Amen. Amen.